You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hi, I'm Chris. And this is Jess. And this is the Earn and Invest Podcast. A quote from a recent post on the blog, Life Outside the Maze. We went to Hawaii and saw lava erupt from Kilauea. I dove with giant manta rays. We jumped off of waterfalls, explored little-known lava tubes, kayaked, and floated along perhaps the most beautiful coastline in the world, the Napoli Coast. We went to the White House and stared at the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution from just inches away. I read MLK's typewritten I Have a Dream speech and toured the monuments. We went to wine country and did it up huge. We even hit up what may be the best restaurant in the world. I wore ridiculous clothes, learned about wine even though I'm more into beer, and stayed in a chateau complete with a private pool. Today, on Earn and Invest, we talk about what spurred this epic adventure and maybe what should motivate all our epic adventures in life. I'll give you a hint. For today's guests, Chris and Jess, it wasn't celebrating four years of financial independence, nor Chris's surviving a year-long fight with metastatic cancer, nor Jess finally deciding to leave her job. It was all three. And so much more. Chris is the author of the incredibly thoughtful blog, Life Outside the Maze, which chronicles his journey along with his wife, Jess, from the startup world to financial independence. While Chris has fought metastatic testicular cancer over the last year, Jess has finally made the decision to leave her job after years of not needing the extra salary. Today, they consider what comes next in their lives. Chris and Jess, welcome to Earn and Invest. Chris, in a blog post, you write... The things that we worry about mean nothing, and the things we take for granted mean everything. What inspired you to write this line? Okay, so it's uh, we're recording this right before Christmas, and if you go back a year ago, right before Christmas last year, is when I um, when I found out I had uh, cancer, and kind of going through that whole process, that was the biggest learning that came out of it for me is I'll just give an example as I found myself I've always wanted to build a dream home it's something that's uh, been on my mind since I was a little kid and as I started treatment I remember watching some home home show on tv about making your dream house and all these little details and it it just didn't resonate with me at all it felt kind of laughable and you know when you're stripped back to the prospect of losing everything, you know, your life, all of those things you thought mattered kind of get redefined. And so, you know, thinking about the worries of work or, or your, you know, whether you want polished steel or uh, green appliances or something, it all, it all falls away. And, and the things that you, uh, that you take for granted are really the only things that matter. I guess that was one of the big lessons coming out and those things being time and health to spend with the people you love. Yeah, there's a whole lot there. Um, but those that was, yeah, that was the the impetus for the quote. <laughs> Jess, you guys have been through a lot since you married, right? I mean, you had kids, you became financially independent. 
you dealt with Chris's cancer. Let's go back to the beginning of your relationship together. What were your worries back then? Oh, goodness. We were young. <laughs> we were uh, 18 when we, we, we got together. So our worries were things like, where are we going to go to college? Uh, how are we going to maintain our friendship? Are we going to maintain our relationship through college? We had chosen different colleges. That was a big thing we were contemplating at that age at the very beginning. Um, we knew we had a really strong connection, but we were so young. So we didn't know, was this, this going to be forever type of thing? Or was this going to be uh, a relationship that would let only last so long? So those are the types of things we were worried about, I think, back then. Um, of course, superficial things too, like you know, who was going to have the Halloween party this year and, you know, who was going to go and all that sort of thing as well. Chris, did you guys worry about finances? I'm interested in how your financial trajectory was and when you discovered financial independence. Okay. Back then we didn't know about financial independence. Uh, We graduated and we graduated and moved out to Denver right when we graduated. We kind of packed up our cars, put everything we owned into the two cars we had and drove out here at the time, in the early 2000s, it coincided with this, uh, you know, the tech crash. And so when we arrived, 13,000 tech workers had been laid off in the Denver area. We had no experience competing against all these other folks. And so it was a rough go at the beginning. It took us months to find jobs, you know, applying every day. And I share all this to say, I think that really informed and kind of created the early seeds of wanting to get to Phi. I didn't think of it as Phi back then. Uh, We thought of it as kind of like trying to get ahead. You know, like we didn't want to be in that vulnerable position of not being able to make rent, knowing how that felt and, and the fear that we wouldn't get work. It kind of like motivated us to save aggressively and kind of, I mean, the frugality was a necessity. And so just keep that going. And I think that informed the early early, early days. Chris, how did you find out about the actual financial independence movement? Was there one blog or podcast or something that introduced you to the concept? Another great question. So at the time when I found Phi, it would have been shortly before I started writing on the website. The way I found it, well, I'll just tell the story is uh, we were both working at startups at the time, really stressful, you know, 68 hour weeks. That's not just a something people say it was a reality. And we were both doing that. I was trying to uh, close a round of financing of funding for the company. I was kind of the program director at large for, and um, this really wealthy VC came in. He was, he's worth about a half a billion dollars. It started and sold a bunch of companies, been on maybe a dozen boards. He threw his keys down on the table. You know, he had like a Porsche, and like a Ferrari keychain, and um, he's st- we we're kind of pitching him our uh, our concept and our financials and all this, and he started talking about money, and he was like all the all the woes of his money. The more money you have, the more problems. Um, <laughs> and he was talking about how family members some get mad at him because he gives them not enough money, and others because he gets too much, and his relationships are complicated. He doesn't know if people like him for himself or his money. And at some point he paused and he was just like, he was like, remember this time, this is the happiest you'll ever be. Hmm. And it was, that was like a huge 
wake up call for me because like I said, we'd been trying to get ahead, you know, and then I look at this guy and he's now, you know, he's elderly and he's still doing this and he's miserable. So like how much success is enough? How much happy, you know, how much money is enough? It motivated me to like write a bunch of stuff that became the blog somewhere around that same time. I was Googling questions like how much money do you need to be happy? And the first person I found was uh, Carl, Mr. 1500 days. And then I found Pete and I was like, oh, these guys live less than an hour away from me. And I kind of reached out and I met I met Carl um, first. We met up for a beer. And that was just like I thought I was coming up with this idea, you know, like you don't have to work forever. <laughs> and, and you don't you know, like there is a point at which more money does not help you get more security and emotional well-being and all of that. And and I was like, really like, you know, this is a manifesto. This is like something people need to know. And then I found out like, like when I met Carl, I, my story is like, we pull into this brewery and he pulled up in a really like junky old car. And I pulled up in a junky old car. We ordered the same beer. We both pulled out our Costco credit cards to pay. And then like, I was just like, this is a thing. You know, it's not just something I figured out. <laughs> Jess, what did you think of all this? I mean, at some point, Chris must have come to you and said, look, I've been really thinking about this. There's this thing that's financial independence. Maybe we could even retire early and not work the rest of our lives. Did it sound plausible to you at the time? Plausible, yes. But but it still felt a little unbelievable that we would do that. Because we had been working so hard for so long, and focused so much on saving, frugality, having a safety net. Again, we didn't talk about it in terms of financial independence. I thought about it more like if something bad were to happen, do we have six months, one year, two years of money in the bank that we could survive and not have to worry? Some of that comes, you know, harps back to what Chris talked about. We graduated from college during a major economic downturn. I also grew up without a lot of money. And so that was sort of my goal in life was to make sure I didn't have to worry about money. So I just kind of put my head down and continued to work and make money and save money uh, and invest. We were, you know, investing in real estate and the market um, and we were doing very well. And every year it felt very gratifying to look at our net worth go up and know that we had a bigger and bigger safety net. When Chris kind of came to me and said, hey, this is kind of what I'm thinking. I was supportive. But I was sort of like, great, you go do that. I'm going to continue to work and I'm going to continue to build this safety net to be bigger and bigger until a couple of years went by. And I think I started to kind of re-examine because I didn't need to work solely for money anymore. And Chris was sort of talking a lot about that. I had to re-examine why I was working. Why am I working? He's not. And I think it took me a couple of years of watching him live his life and do the things that he wanted to do for me to even kind of open up to the idea of me examining that for myself. So that's about two years in is when I started to examine, maybe at some point I'll take a break from work or, and I, and I, I still, you know, think of it more like a break. And I think part of that is me holding on a little bit to that fear, but then also I like a lot of aspects of working. I like what I get out of working. And I think part of that 
is I got to examine that while I was working and Chris wasn't. And I, I got to really think about why do I like this? Why do I like this job? Why do I, why do I get up every day and go do this? And so those were some of the things I was thinking about. I think back to that time. And when I, you know, when I found out about the 4% rule and started looking at the models others were using to say they had enough, it was a quick flick of a switch for me. I was just like, the math is there. I trust the data. I think for you, it was Jess, it was, it was more of a progression, right? Like, cause I remember those early days, we'd have the discussions and I would, I would say like, here's the numbers. So it all makes sense. And you never disagreed with the numbers, but I think it took you longer to like develop a comfort level to make it a reality beyond just seeing the math. Oh yeah. I I think for me, it was, I I think absolutely the numbers made sense. I, I think I even read JL Collins book, which he has a lot of data in the simple path to wealth on if you look over time in the market, if you were to invest in broad market funds, um, at a 4% rule, this is how many years it would work. And it's like a crazy, it's like 80 plus percent of the years if you would have started investing to work. But there was always that chance that you picked the wrong year and then maybe it wouldn't work out. And I always focused on sort of that worst case scenario. But that's what I was trained to do because an engineer by training also, what are you trained to do? Think of the worst case scenario. When will this thing break? Uh, what are the edge cases that aren't going to work out here? That's how my brain thinks. Also coming from less money growing up, I didn't want to get into a place where I was in a worst case scenario. And so for me, it, I, it took me a while to kind of get comfortable with, it's it's less about the exact numbers and thinking about you know the worst case scenario, because I think there's always another worst case scenario that could that that could sink you or could put you under or could. And I think you have to start thinking more in terms of the possibilities and, and, and getting back to the reasons for why you wouldn't work or why you would take or reduce work. Even I think those things, putting those things a little bit more front and center uh, allows you to let go of some of those worries about those worst case scenarios. Well, and then Chris and I, like you mentioned, we, we did hit a worst case scenario. I would say this year, but you know, we could talk more about that later, Mm. but I think that that's, that's actually helped me quite a bit. I think get comfortable with, oh yeah, you can hit a worst case scenario and there are ways out of it. It's not like there's just one path. And if you, you're, you're going to get blocked and you're never going to get out of it. There are, there are multiple ways out of it. That being said, being financially independent surely helps a lot in a lot of worst case scenarios. Chris, let's go there to the worst case scenario. Talk about what financial independence felt like before having cancer compared to after cancer. Oh, wow. That is a great question. When I, when I declared it, um, you know, it would be four years ago as of October. So four years and a couple months, and it was a totally different time back then. The market had been soaring for 10 years. Everybody was I shouldn't say 10 years. It was many years. It was, I think at that point, it was already the longest bull market of all time. And there was just a lot of positive sentiment. You know, that was pre-pandemic. That was pre a lot of the giant social movements that have happened since then. That was pre-cancer for me. And it was an innocent time. I was just like, just like, it was victory lap. You know, it was pure joy. I was just like, hey, I'm going to, 
do all the things, you know, I'm going to do the adventures, I'm going to do this stuff. And wow, that's uh, the growth, personal growth and personal discovery over the past four years has been a, a big one for me. Chris, I'm interested by this idea because you said, you know, you did your victory lap, you did all the things, right? But then the quote I read as part of our introduction is doing a bunch of important things that you did after cancer. And I almost got the feeling, especially from that blog post, that doing them after cancer was a very different feeling than maybe taking that victory lap right after financial independence. Did it feel differently? Oh, yeah. Uh, very different. I think the uh, the emotional experience of doing them felt very different. And I I don't want to sound cheesy, but I'll just go here because it's very true, is doing these things before cancer, it was a lot of like, these are things I'd love to do someday. You know, I'd love to do all these fun adventures. I'd love to meditate more and understand myself better and all of these things. And so I think when I started, it was doing those things to get, get over it or move past it. I'll, I'll go back a little earlier. When I was working, it was like, someday I'll do all these things. And then, you know, I'll, I'll be happier. It'll be, life will be better. Okay, then you get to go do all those things. And certainly it's fun, but you're still you and you're still going to be working on things and maintaining things. There's no permanency. After cancer, going back out and doing some of these things like diving with manta rays and traveling with the family to Hawaii, going to wine country, the stuff I remember is is the people and the way it felt and not the things so much. And I'll just, I'll give an example because I think it's a powerful one is, you know, diving with manta rays is something I tried to do 10 years ago and a hurricane rolled in or not a hurricane, a um, typhoon maybe. Anyway, it rolled in and I couldn't do the dive. So then returning, I got to go out and do this dive and yes, it was fun. It was really improbable to be out there a few months back to being in a, in a cancer bed, getting chemo treatments to now being at the base of a volcano, you know, thousand miles off the coast underwater, watching these one ton manas swimming around. But what I really think about and what picture really brings a tear to my eye when I think about it is that on the boat next to me was my my family, Jess and the boys, and they were, you know, above snorkeling while I was down there. And, you know, the emotional experience of it is very different. It's, for me, that experience is more life goes on and it goes on with these people and I'm present in the moment. And that is, is just a very different feeling than the way I looked at these things. Uh, early on. Jess, I find it interesting because as I hear Chris talk about this, I get this strong feeling like after he got to financial independence, he did a bunch of things, but it was almost like a checklist of I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. But after cancer, he actually experienced these things in a very different way of being present. And I want to see how that relates to your experience, because as you were talking about before, you kind of kept working, you kept working, you kept working, Chris gets cancer, and now you've decided to stop working. 
Talk about the effect his cancer had on your decision to leave your job. So I was already contemplating leaving my job prior to the cancer diagnosis. And I was kind of going back and forth for a few months. It was a really tough decision. Um, I had helped start this company. It was very successful. I loved the mission of the company. Um, I loved a lot of the people I worked with. But there was something missing for me. And I think it was the passion and the motivation that I think I needed to get to the next phase of this company. I was doing all the right things and I was being the leader, but I, my, for me personally, it wasn't co- kind of coming back to me as much as it was, which I think would have led, led to burnout over time. And so I was kind of starting to feel that. And it's something that over time I've learned, like when I start to feel that, that's, that's, that's that path to burnout. Don't, don't go all the way to burnout, you know, get out before that or do something different or, or recharge in some way. Um, but I was struggling to make that decision. Some of it came down to fears too about, you know, what about the prestige and the money and the success and sort of giving up. And, and then some of it came down to the fact that there were a lot of things I really loved about what I was doing. And when Chris was going through the cancer, I chose to stick with the work during that time. And in some ways that was help, a helpful distraction at times from what we were dealing with. Um, Of course, I had to reduce my hours a bit, and I had some people that really stepped up and helped me out during that time. But I think towards the end and during the experience, what flooded into me was just this overwhelming feeling of whatever you're going to be doing work-wise, if you're going to be spending this much time away from your family and kids and husband, you better feel it. You better feel inspired. You better feel that passion. You better feel that desire to do it or it's just not worth it. It's not worth it for you. And it's not worth it for the people around you. And it's not worth it for your family. And I wasn't feeling that anymore. It was just time. It was time to move on. And the cancer, you know, treatment and everything he was going through sort of helped me, helped me make the final decision that it was time to move on. And I felt really comfortable all of a sudden making that decision. I had felt so uncomfortable before. And then all of a sudden it was just like, I had clarity. I'm ready. And I had been ready for quite some time, but that experience was what really pushed me over uh, into making the decision. Chris, we've talked about this idea of career path and how your experiences, both with financial independence and cancer, have changed your opinions of career path, et cetera. What about spending? What about the other side? Have you found that your opinions of spending have changed since going through cancer over the last year? You know, it's tough to distinguish between which of these are caused by cancer and which are caused by, you know, increased wealth. Because what I'll share is that when I claimed financial independence, I had some rental properties. We have had investments. Um, Since then, if you look at what's happened in the stock market, it's taken off, right? You look at what's happened in real estate, it's taken off. And then as Jess mentioned, her business really took off. And so we find ourselves and found ourselves going into the cancer in just like a way better financial spot than we were initially. And so coming out, coming out of cancer, I think some things have changed. I also think our wealth situation has changed. And when you actually find yourself in a surplus, which is the most likely case of the 4% rule, right? Like most people that, that claim FI, are going to end up with something like three times as much money later in life. We found ourselves there earlier. 
And so what does that mean? You know, do you then just spend like a maniac um, or do you, uh, what do you do with it? I think what's changed for me from the cancer is certainly there's this thought of like, like you mentioned at the top of this, the, what might be the best restaurant in the world. Um, We ate at this place called the French Laundry out in wine country. And it's kind of like a culinary Mecca. It was ludicrous. It was a ludicrous expense and I can't justify it. I said to Jess after we ate there, no one should eat here or everyone should have a chance to eat here. And I can't decide which one. (laughs) And for me, food has always been something I've taken a lot of joy in and a good meal with people and good conversation. And so doing that was like the ultimate version of that it was it was a lot of fun it was it was huge it's maybe something i would have felt guiltier about before the cancer and truthfully when we when we arrived and the waiter asked is there anything you're celebrating i was thrown off guard and when i had to sheepishly explain like i guess i'm celebrating health you know <laughs> like and told my story it was like the whole staff responded and we're just like, so, uh, I don't know. They, they shared stories of loved ones. They kind of wanted to make it special for us. And anyway, where I'm going with that is just to say, I think I coming out of, of, uh, cancer, some of these experiences I'm more comfortable doing now. It doesn't mean I'm okay with just like ludicrous luxury and conspicuous consumption because that's always been something that's that's on my mind but there is a piece about money fuels intention and taking some time to do these things that you've always wanted to do because you now can maybe it gave some urgency to it coming out of the the cancer We are talking to Chris and Jess. Chris is the author of the incredibly thoughtful blog, Life Outside the Maze, which chronicles his journey along with his wife, Jess, from the startup world to financial independence. We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit-like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R. USA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. 
Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, service key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash earn. That is linkedin.com slash E-A-R-N for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash earn and get started. Let me reintroduce you. We are talking to Chris and Jess. Chris is the author of Life Outside the Maze, and he recently spent the last year fighting cancer. We talked today about how his life over the last year has affected his views on financial independence, as well as Jess's journey in the professional world. Chris, let me give you another quote from a blog post. As I look back over the last four years away from traditional work, it is not spending big dollars, but rather the reduction of noise in my life, more time availability, and more commitment to other things that have allowed me to do most of the things, pursue most of the personal growth, and pursue most of the adventures that I have. Talk about what meaning looks like in your life today. Well, as far as the quote, you know, I think back about some of the stuff I've done. And just to give an example is as a kid, I always wanted to, uh, you know, maybe it was watching Indiana Jones, but I wanted to be an archeologist. So at some point I wanted to work at a dig site. Um, One of the things I did is I went and did a a dinosaur dig in Wyoming and we ended up finding uh, what might be the most complete Taurosaurus skeleton discovered, but doing that whole process it costs less than a thousand bucks, you know, all the travel, all the lodging, everything all in. And so, you know, why had I never done that before? Why is it something that I wanted to do ever since I was 10 years old, but never did? Intention, right, is one. Space is the other, as you mentioned. And the space is when all that work stuff goes away, it gives you the mental space to see the possibility. Money is a tool, right? It, when you don't have money, money is is a necessity, right? And you need to meet some threshold to make ends meet. I think beyond that, it becomes a tool. I think that has changed for me. I don't think you can buy your way into the things that really are going to give you sustaining meaning and, and happiness. I think you you work your way into those more with with that intention in that space being phi. And when I look back over the last four years, a piece of that has been knowing myself better, having time to, okay, if I'm in the middle of something and I'm feeling emotionally angry or something pausing and, and, and saying, why am I feeling this way? You know, having that awareness um, and practicing it as a habit, you know, and, and, and some form of meditation is a piece of that too, to just kind of like pause that having the space to do that 
it's like next level thinking, right? Instead of reacting all the time and just emotionally responding, it's why am I feeling this way? What are the emotions that are driving this and what are they rooted in? It's been informative for me. It's a subtle change, but a big one and one that I call a big victory over the past years. Jess, let's talk about meaning from your standpoint. I mean, I'll be a little controversial here, but you've really been through a number of traumas recently. Uh, One is financial independence. People probably think it's a boon, but in many ways, I think it's actually a trauma that you have to somewhat live through when you realize this is where you are. Obviously, Chris's cancer was a trauma and leaving your job is a trauma, even if it's a joyful thing that you really want to do. What does meaning look like in your life now, kind of post-work, post-Chris's cancer battle, post-financial independence? How do you think you're going to start redefining your identity? Yeah, I've started. (laughs) (laughs) I think think, um, it's really difficult to think about your identity when so much of your identity is your work. Uh, That's a big thing that I've been grappling with since leaving is realizing that a lot of my identity was wrapped up in, I've been a tech worker. I've been an executive at a tech company. I've, you know, started these companies and pulling away from that and trying to find out who I am outside of that is really uncomfortable (laughs) at times. And it's also really freeing and really nice at times to not have to be so tied up in oh, I have to go do these things and these are the things and here's how I have to perform and here's the work I have to do. Um, So it's like both of those things. Over time, it's getting easier to think about myself a little bit more disconnected from just work. Also, I can hear myself think again. Uh, You know, when I was so busy with running companies, you think about a lot of things, but you can't really hear the like deep inner thoughts about, wait, who really am I? And what have I been doing over the last 20 years? And, you know, there's, there's thoughts that are in there that I think are really hard to hear when you have so much urgency in your life. And there's so many people needing you all of the time and you're so busy. Um, So that's been a really nice uh, experience for me to just sit with some of my thoughts, albeit some of them uncomfortable at times where I get a little anxious or I think maybe I should go back to work or, you know, maybe I should be doing these things. It's all of those shoulds. I'm trying to turn a lot of those shoulds into coulds. Like you could do these things. These are things you could do, but why, why would you do them? And trying to get behind the why a little bit more so that whatever I do next, I really feel like I'm in it because it's something that I really, I really want to do. And it'll inspire me in some way and, and create, you know, a life that I'll be proud of down the road. So those are some of the things I've been thinking about. Again, spending time with those thoughts, Chris, I mean, the mornings that we have having coffee and conversations together have been really amazing. We just haven't, with having kids and working and all of that, we just haven't had that time together. That's been awesome. I have more time with my friends. I've actually, one of my friends said to me recently, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to start calling you more. Uh, You're a yes person. I'm like, I'm a yes person. I'm not a yes person. And she was like, no, every time I call you to do something, since you've left your job, you say yes. And I was like, oh, that's so true. I have more time to explore, experiment, try new things. Like, you know, I'm taking some fun classes and cooking and pottery and just doing some things that 
uh, get me to think outside of what I've been doing for the last 20 years, which isn't bad necessarily what I've been doing, but I, I want a more well-rounded life. You know, I want, I want to be able to do those artistic endeavors alongside, you know, some of the technical work that I do. I, I, I think I'm at a place where that kind of work can't be 80% of my life anymore. Chris, let's talk about security. I mean, we pursue financial independence because we want financial security. And I know from taking a hike recently with you that you're in incredibly good shape. You jog, you hike, you pursue exercise for health security, right? And yet on your four-year financial independence anniversary blog, you wrote, I've also learned that security is, of course, an illusion, Tell me more about that. I mean, we we look for security and we try to build security in our life. And yet you're also saying on some sense it's futile. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll comment on the health thing first is uh, coming out of the, the treatment for me, um, I, I had a pretty aggressive chemo. It was short, but very aggressive. I came out with essentially like early stage liver disease levels in my liver. My liver wasn't functioning. So I went and talked to the docs and they were like, we don't know if it's chemo or if you have like early stage fatty liver disease. And um, I was like, well, what can I do? And, you know, coming out of cancer, when you face the prospect of losing all of your health, you'll do anything for your health. You know, like the state of mind I was in anything. And so um, when you mentioned I, I was in good shape, you know, you caught me at the tail end of me you know, I didn't, I didn't drink any alcohol for, uh, two or three months. Um, I went and started running every day. Um, just trying to get that liver working again. These were the things they told me I could do actually drinking coffee. They said, start drinking coffee. And I was like, I thought, I thought you weren't supposed to do it, but apparently it's good for liver function. And so I started drinking coffee. I did, I did everything I could. And yeah, that was, to build some health security. But to your point, I did say security is an illusion. And man, leave it to something like cancer to reveal that because I remember going through the treatment early on after building up this huge thing I thought was security with Phi. And then facing, like I mentioned, our finances had only gotten better. Jess was telling me she was ready to leave work and we we're going to be doing this in parallel paths rather than supporting each other on these sort of different paths. Everything was going great, right? And then cancer and and looking at the ultimate loss of security, right? Your life, a huge juxtaposition. Um, then coming out of cancer, you go through this process of like, Am I, am I cured? You know, when do I know that it's gone? And you always get these fuzzy answers from everybody involved, the doctors, the nurses, the infusion techs, everybody. And there's a reason for that is because like, like I'm going to get scans for five years post-cancer and is the cancer gone? Hopefully, but there's a reason you get those scans. And so do you live five years um, waiting and worrying, or do you do you live in the uncertainty when you're going through chemo? Do you live in the moment? And I had an easy cancer to quote. I don't know who I'm quoting. It came up at some point early on in the, in my cancer. I remember someone saying, wow, you really dodged a bullet because it's testicular. Wow. For as hard as cancer 
was for me and as transformational it was for me, it's, there is a truth there. I had one of the easier ones. You know, other people in the ward had pancreatic or lung cancer. Talk about security being illusion. How long do they have? You start to live in this sort of gratitude for, for a good day, for a good conversation. And so coming out of this, we, you know, we built up so much security and stuff in our life to try to empower us, you know, and in some way that all gets torn away, you know, it, it is an illusion. And, and I came to understand that the reason those medical professionals weren't giving me answers was not because, you know, I don't know, they were trying to mislead me. It was because they understood something working in this area that I didn't at first, which is that it's a choice you make, you know, it's a choice you make to say, I am healthy. I am, I'm cancer free, you know? And so when, when people battling cancer come back and they tell me, they say, I beat the cancer or I'm cancer free, I'm in remission. And I know it's still early in that process um, that they may, you know, they don't know if it's coming back. They may have another round or two of chemo or experimental treatments. Like I know what they're doing. They're making a choice. They're saying, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to live in the risk. I'm going to like live now. And that's, that's a big part of the change, I guess. Jess, are you feeling optimistic? I mean, we just spent all this time right now just talking about how, Life isn't secure, right? And there are things you can control and things you can't. Coming out of this last year, are you feeling fairly optimistic about your future? I really am, honestly. I feel very optimistic. I think this experience for me was a huge teaching moment for me to let go of control. Um, you know, I, I, I li- I'm very type A. I love to work. I love to be in control of that work. I love to be in control of my situation at home. I love to be in control of my health. And for me, it was a huge realization that you can put all these things in place. I can continue to build the financial safety net as big as I want to make it. But at the end of the day, I I, I really don't have control over something like when will you get cancer or when will you not, or what, what, what else might happen in your life that you can't control. And for me, I think it was a really, it was, it allowed me to relax a little bit and not, and let go of that, that feeling of control. So I can say, you know what, maybe you've done enough here. Maybe you can move on from this job. Maybe you don't have to continue to build this financial safety net forever. Um, Maybe there will be another rough patch, most likely in life as, as we learn things will get rough again at some point. Um, and it'll still be difficult, but I don't fear that as much because there are ways to get through these times. Like I said before, there are different paths you can take. And a lot of it is about your mental state. Are you happy with what you're doing? Are you feeling positive in your life? And are you, you know, I think that equips you with an ability when some of these hardships come to handle them a little bit better. But it was a big shock for me to go from, you know, think we were kind of on top of everything. I was thinking about leaving my job to, oh, now we're going to go through this cancer experience, which is totally shocking for both of us. And I was on obviously the other end of it, which was more of the caretaking position, but um, it still was a huge shock for me, but I've learned a lot 
And I think it puts me in a position to think optimistically about the future because of the fact that I don't fear the worst case scenario is bad. I think we're fortunate that we got through it. And Chris is making the choice to be in that healthy headspace, which is awesome. And, and I'm right there with him thinking through that, thinking through what are other things that we can do in our life together to experience together, to sort of cherish this time together. I think that's a big thing that I've been thinking about lately. Chris, let's talk more about Outlook. On that blog post, you say the stories that we tell ourselves have a huge impact on our outlook and values, which in turn drive every decision and action day to day. This in turn can set one's trajectory through life. We become the stories that we tell ourselves. What stories do you now tell yourself about your life? I mean, the stories I'm telling myself today are uh, I'm lucky. I tell myself I'm lucky, you know, like every day I'm lucky to, man, when my hair grew back, I didn't comb it (laughs) for like a month. And it was just like all crazy and it would go in weird directions. And I just smiled and looked at and like, (laughs) where am I going with this? The story I'm telling myself there is I'm lucky. I'm lucky to have hair and my hair is crazy today and it's sticking up off and off to the left. And that's hilarious. And like, I'm, uh, I'm not worried, you know, I'm not worried about how I look to other people or what I'm, it's just it's, it's me and it's my loved ones. Like that's, that's who I answer to, like in terms of identity and like what concerns me, you know? So yeah, the stories I tell myself are I'm lucky. The stories I tell myself are I'm healthy and I see it and I believe it on a daily basis. The stories I try to tell myself, and I think this is a big one when you're post fi is I'm successful. Because when you no longer have a career and, you know, you no longer have that community, you no longer have that achievement, that external thing showing you how great you are, you tell your own story, you know, and, and that's, that's the story I I tell. Um, I also think on the path, it's super important. I mean, like, coming out of this trauma comes to mind. And like, I have not had a lot of it in my life. This was an episode of trauma for me. And like, as I, you know, part of me feels a little bit of imposter syndrome because my cancer was not as bad as other cancers. And I know people feel that in all sorts of ways. I think of the trauma people have to get over. And I'll pull this back to financial independence in their financial independence stories is like, maybe you had a parent that made you feel not good enough. Well, if you're going to like go through your FI journey, it is long and it's really simple and straightforward, but it's hard to adhere to. You've got to save that money. You've got to invest. You've got to be diligent for a decade to get there. And the story you tell yourself along that way is I am good enough each and every day. And even though I slipped up and I went out and blew a hundred bucks on those clothes or something, like it doesn't change my identity. The story I tell myself is I'm good enough. And I get over those traumas. I address those traumas. That's huge, you know, on the path, whether it's that path to fire, that path to like success in the way you define it for yourself. Jess, we've been talking about outlook and the stories we tell ourselves about the traumas we've gone through. 
Tell me what stories you tell your children about this time of your life and, and what you've been through, both with financial independence and Chris's cancer. It's interesting. You know, our kids are in middle school, so they're at that interesting age where some days they want to talk to us and sometimes they don't want to hear us at all. That's kind of where they're at. Um, uh, but a lot of it, I think, is also what you show your kids, you know, how you behave how Chris and I interact with one another, the things that we're doing differently post his experience are real. Chris talks a lot about of it, like a lot about intention. We're, we're using a lot more attention with how we live our lives. And we're trying to teach our kids that w- whatever it is you're doing, be intentional about it. Understand the why behind what you're doing. Understand where you're going with it. Understand you know, what's fueling you inside. And so I think we're trying to get them to kind of be along in that journey with us as we go through this. I think that if we model that, you know, that's what they'll see and that's what they'll get out of that experience. Of course, you know, we also try to model that with finances and frugality. And, um, you know, that's a big topic for us too, because like Chris said, we've done well financially, but we still want to teach our kids you know, a a good, healthy model for, you know, what, what money can do for you. Like Chris said, it's a tool. It's not, you know, many, many studies out there show you that the more you buy, the more consumption you have doesn't necessarily make you happier, even if you have the means to do that. And so we're also trying to be intentional with our kids about that. So we have conversations with them about that. Um, What does it mean to save? And what does it mean to invest? And what, using intention to spend your money. What do you want to spend your money on as you save your money? And then also, of course, you know, just cherishing that time together. We do spend a lot of time as a family together, trying to play (laughs) games, trying to, trying to have good times and trying to remain positive and optimistic with a growth mindset. You know, we talk a lot about our kids, about growth mindset. They're, they're like us. They're hard on themselves. They put a lot of pressure on themselves to do really well. And of course, we admire that about them. At the same time, we're trying to teach them that it's okay in life to make some mistakes and have some failures along the way. It doesn't mean you're not going to get where you need to go. Um, it just means that there's something there that you're trying to learn or something there you need to experience. And that we think will help them through the experiences like with Chris's cancer or other things to be able to take those really hard times, whether it be you just lost at a soccer game or your dad just got diagnosed with cancer or whatever that is. And to have that outlook of more of what can I learn from this? What can I, how is this experience um, affecting me and what, what can I do about it? What do I have control over? And I think those are some of the things we talk and model for our kids now that we didn't think about so much. I think pre cancer. I I think I also give my kids just like way more hugs. It's almost like (laughs) it's, you know, they're always like pushing me away, like dad, not another, I love you and a hug. And it's, that's certainly a response to coming out of the cancer. But yeah. um, You know, this, this thing about our boys are really at an emotional time in their lives and they can be, they can really just to give an example is like, Oh, I, I blew it on that on that test and trying to get them to reframe that to that test did not go the way I'd like it to go, but I'm going to do better in the future. And generally I'm an awesome student. That should be the story and the comment, not I blew it. I blew it. I blew it. 
because that's the story you tell yourself. And that's the one that affects the long, long-term success or failure. Well, Chris and Jess, I wanted to thank you for being on Earn and Invest today. As I listen to our conversation, I think Jess really hit it on the head. What she learned somewhat from your cancer was that this lack of control, this loss of control is not necessarily a bad thing. It's living. I mean, to decide you're going to be financially independent and leave your job is saying that I'm going to let go of the control of making more money and being more secure. To deal with cancer is to realize I'm going to let go of the control of thinking that I'm going to be healthy and I can fix everything. What happens is the stories we end up telling ourselves about our lives maybe is that we're lucky despite the traumas, despite the fact that our sense of security sometimes is shattered by the unexpected. We learn to live in the moment. And I think you guys are perfect examples of both long-term planning and yet understanding the beauty of living for today. I want to end this episode the way I end every episode by asking you what is up next in your life and specifically where people can find you. Chris, tell us what's next for you and Jess. And Jess, then you can tell us the best way to reach out to you if we have questions. I actually have something to share in this regard. Um, so I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be speaking at Camp Phi here in uh, in early January. I'm really excited to kind of you know coming through this last year. I feel like there's a message I want to share with people to kind of that I think is valuable, and I get to do that. Uh, so I'll be at, at Camp Phi Southeast here uh, January, I think it's 5th through 7th or something. And then, um, you know, I can be found at Life Outside the Maze, where I still occasionally write about um, all the stuff we talked about and more. And Jess, if people have questions for you too, is the best way to go through the Life Outside the Maze uh, blog page? Yes, absolutely. That'd be awesome. This has been the Earn and Invest podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, I'd like to thank Chris and Jess. That's a wrap. Earn and Invest is now part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to this show as well as other fine podcasts. All right. I keep things running just for our conversation afterward. First and foremost, thank you. I know that's not an easy conversation. It wasn't meant to be an easy conversation. Um, and I appreciate you being willing to talk about these things open and frankly. Is there anything we didn't cover? Any things that you wish we had talked more about? You know, I think an area that's interesting is like when I claimed FI, and you continued to work for four more years. How did we make that work? You know, like when one when one spouse is doing this five thing and the other is not, how does that work? Um, I'll just share for us that I think it was, you know, I had worked in startups as well. So when you wanted to continue working in startups, I could kind of empathize and help and be there with you i think there was a mutual respect thing like had jess said to me i think 
this is all BS and you're just lazy. <laughs> I was about to say, Jess, any, je any jealousy there? That would have been a huge fail. Sure, there was jealousy, of course. There were day many days where I would see what he was up to and think, what am I doing? I'm doing what he's doing. Uh, but you have to be, again, and it, it, gets, it harps back to like, you're making a choice and I'd have to come back to the reasons why I was still making that choice to feel comfortable with that. Yeah, I would say I, you really committed to the reasons you wanted to work, like yep. mission and community and doing, you know, doing good as yeah. a company and all of that. And um, I think that helped carry you. I think about like, you know, you respected what I was doing, even if you didn't understand it. Like you were, I, I you said, I agree with you. I can see on paper that we got the five, even if I'm not like fully mentally there with you yet. Along that process, you kind of like, you understood enough to say working more is not going to get us some success. And so if you want to explore other paths of success, I get that, do it. And that was, I think that was huge. Yeah. Do you think, I mean, you guys have been through a lot. And one thing that I'm learning is as people go through this evolution a lot of them come back to work. Some of them even come back to employment at some point. Do you either of you ever see yourself being employed again? Sure. Yeah, I do. I mean, I could I could see myself finding something that I thought was really interesting with a group of people and deciding that um, employment was the right path to, to whatever that was. It's hard to think about doing that right now because uh there's so much I'm enjoying about not having, having that in my life. I think I'm really, you know, resistant right now to somebody controlling my schedule. And so I really like having control over that right now, but I think um, I could see myself doing that again. I think it would look different probably than how maybe it's looked in the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I would sign up for the same intensity level, but, um, and, and I am doing a little bit of that on the side. So I can still do a little bit of that. Um, I'm doing a little bit of advisory work and things like that, but it's not full-time employment where I'm all in. One Chris, of the things- Could you ever work for someone again? You know, when you, you said employ, employed, <laughs> and like, I just cringed because <laughs> when I think of being an employee, I think of giving up so much control. I think I'd be much more likely to start a business or be a co-founder in something if I was an employee, it would be, I gave up a lot of that control because I felt so strongly about what we were going to do. Um, yeah. I think, um, oh, what was I going to say? Man, I had a, I had a gem and it just, oh, sorry, me. that was my fault. <laughs> I knocked you off. I pushed you. Oh yeah. Here's what I was going to say is we talk a lot about as we age, what are going to be the structures in place that'll give us, you know, support. And I think of like my grandfather, he had a small business and he never sold it or left it. He worked into his nineties. And I use work in quotes because he would go in like emeritus and just kind of yeah. walk around and talk to people. <laughs> and I could see starting a business or some endeavor where I could have that into old age. And that would be a, that'd be meaningful for me. Some of the happiest people I know did exactly that. Found something they were they were quote unquote employed, but they had a yep. place to go every day and things that felt meaningful to them and people they saw on a regular basis. And it really provided a framework 
Um, I, you see this, I think, in a lot of business owners who can kind of make themselves, they still maybe make some income off of it, but really they've handed most everything off to everyone else. But it's that kind of excitement of what brought them to the business. I think as you get older, uh, you still rally in some of that excitement of whatever brought you to that business, especially for entrepreneurs. Um, yeah, I could see the same thing. <laughs> 